Welcome to Hemp Logic Radio, where we attempt to sift facts from opinions in this upside down world of industrial hemp. Hey, 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 it's Corey with Hemp Logic. Hemp Logic Radio seems my uh, executive better half and co host to the show. Uh, I think I actually pulled a uh, typical husband thing and forgot to tell her that we were on the on the radio this morning. So I have no co-host um, in t- typical uh, in typical live radio fashion. Uh, <laughs> I'm by myself. Uh, I'm supposed to be on the on the on the show with uh, Michelle Thorne uh, from uh, Food Slain. We were supposed to be doing a dual podcast this morning, and I think something happened in her world. And so I'm out here by myself and this time I have a little bit to talk about. So, uh, and this is also an open mic episode. So I, I posted this on LinkedIn. If you'd like to call in and uh, get on the radio and talk five minutes uh, about whatever you want to talk about, you can do that too. So uh, until Michelle uh, calls in, uh, I'll just kind of, kind of go flow with the here, flow with the here. Uh, so what we were going to talk about this morning was uh, the collapsing food chain and, and actually what that means to you. And this has been a, a hot topic for the last almost two weeks. But, uh, you know, um, we had a guest, uh, Shay Myers from uh, Ohio uh, Produce, and uh, he uh, dumped a million pounds of, of uh, onions and it caused quite a stir. New York Times flew out to interview him, and and uh, Michelle actually interviewed him. I think her episode comes and drops tomorrow. So speaking of Michelle, I think she's on here. Let me see if I can get her on with me. Michelle. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So I was just I don't know if you heard uh, talking a little bit about what we were about our topic today and. Uh, talking about uh, your your podcast dropping tomorrow right yeah friday tomorrow's friday right <laughs> tomorrow i i think it is uh, tomorrow is friday, tomorrow's friday. yeah <laughs> with shay myers yes yeah, shay myers he's a really neat guy he's uh you know i interviewed him he was the first year far hemp farmer last year and just pretty much like everybody else kind of lost his ass. And we were talking about all the pitfalls of, of being a new hemp farmer and, and whatnot. And then he goes and rolls right into this and it's, Oh man. Uh, you know, his family's been, his family's fairly, the farm's fairly large, I think. And he's, uh, he's quite, he, he makes some really good videos. Um, I think so I too. I mean, he's very, he's been very active, very visible the last several weeks. Obviously, you know, I, I, I love what they're doing up there. I mean, they're, they're, they're unlike a lot of, um, from what I see anyway, and I could be wrong, maybe I just don't know enough farmers, but he's really integrated, which I think is part of what helps to cushion him against some things like this, possibly. I, you know, I didn't get a chance to that, but, um, well, what, you know, he posted when I talk something to him, today. Yeah, I talked to him earlier in the week. Was it early? So it was Thursday. I think it was either Saturday or Sunday I spoke to him. And, mm. you know, they were – he was dumping – he dumped that video, uh, went total viral on LinkedIn. Uh, I haven't looked at it lately, but the last time I looked at it, it was over 60,000 views. 
And wow. of course, all the comments and, you know, and I think you and I've spoken about this is there's just no way he can take that. I think it was 17 truckloads of onions that he dumped yep. in a ditch. Yep. And the food banks and, and everything, they, oh, you should take it to a food bank. Are you going to take a whole truckload of onions that he's actually donating his time, money, equipment? Are you going to take on a whole semi load of, of uh, are you going to take a whole semi load of onions? It just doesn't work. And that's part of, you know, the food chain, uh, I've been talking about it and I'm not, I'm not an expert. I just happen to know what this looks like from a, from a farming standpoint. And it's, it, there's, there's going to be a lot of problems in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. Economically, ecologically, you know, I think it's going to be tough for people, you know, emotionally and, and psychologically at some point, you know, food is really important to all of us. We, mm -hmm. we require it, you know. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's unfortunate we got yeah you got to you got to stop what you're doing and eat every once in a while, um, yeah. But the, the you know the food chain the food chain is is broken and people are not seeing it and and I think they can't see it because they don't understand it. Um, you know, right. I've gotten it. Yeah, I've gotten in arguments uh, on LinkedIn with some people that are you know they're. They're more, uh, you know, it's save the world, save the planet. Cows are bad. You know, we need to stop subsidizing big ag. Well, guys, big ag feeds the world. And if that that source of food goes away, ah, it's going to be, you know, millions and millions of people could die of starvation if this collapses completely. And it's it's a serious problem. Uh, that might be a little bit exaggerated, but if you know the, the milk, the milk supply, the, the dairy farmers, if they have to go, you know, if this continues on, they're going to have to sell some of their cows. You know, I don't. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting because when you look at the the circle called the food supply chain, it starts with the farmer, right? It starts with the the good that's being produced or grown or raised. And then it goes to a processor and then it goes to packaging and then it goes to a distributor and then it goes to the retail level. Then it comes to the consumer and then it goes into a waste stream and then that's back to the farmer. So it's this, it's this loop that we're in and, you know, we could surmise that at every point along that, that, that chain, every link in that chain has some dysfunction and, and we're seeing it. It's being exposed right now because of what's happening as a result of the coronavirus. I read something yesterday that was talking about how we're about to see shortages of meat because the Smithfield Farms plants in the Midwest have to shut down because some of their employees have been tested positive for coronavirus. And so they're, they're predicting now, you know, on top of all of the, the milk that's being dumped and the eggs being crushed and the onions that are spoiling in the field and everything else, the squash, the tomatoes, you know, we're about to see meat shortages along with all the other shortages that we're seeing at the retail level like flour and yeast and things like that, which is, you know, super concerning, you know, 
it, it's just really concerning. And, you know, I think we talked about it a little bit um, yesterday in our conversation about these impacts, you know, how, what happens next when, when there's no food in the grocery store and there's no food coming from the distributor and there's no food coming from the farmers. Yeah, it's the 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 simple the simple uh, uh I've seen it time and time again people will chime in and they'll say, "Well, why don't you just go direct to the consumer?" Uh, seven, There's a six, cost involved 17 with that. semis, 17 semis that were supposed to go to the the packing plant didn't make it to the packing plant. Be, it, it, there's there's not a direct consumer that can take on 17 truckloads and it's you know there's a lot of different um there's a lot of different things that are happening but and i and and, and, and there's a cost that goes with that right there's a yes. cost that the that the farmer would incur trying to get the produce from one place to another and it it it's more expensive to truck it somewhere or several places to make deliveries because you've got the cost of staff, you've got the cost of fuel, you've got the cost of the truck and, and, and the people who are getting it from one place to another, and that burden would fall on the farmer to do that. And yeah, at least a, that's my these understanding. Big farmers, these big farmers are not Amazon. They're not right. set up to do direct. It's not set up like that. And I think, well, oh, well, what about big egg? What about big egg? Well, the the big egg it's it's these large you know I'm just using Shays just because it's so you know I, I happen to know that I know him spoken to him about the situation so I'm using him as a perfect example but there's th- th- these farmers are all over the United States Florida Texas New Mexico uh, Arizona they're all going through this farmers are killing under lettuce um, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah I don't. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what. To, there's not a. Someone will ask. Well, what is there anything we can do? No, except turn the economy back on because it's so big. Well, you know, the scale is so Shay, large. <clears throat> when I interviewed Shay this week, I asked him that same question. I said, "Well, you know, what can we do? What can we do? Right? It, it, we know what is happening." But what can we do? And his answer to that was very interesting. And he, he said that, um, you know, we can begin to ask our retail locations, our grocery uh, store buyers to purchase from U.S. farmers. A lot of consumers don't really understand that where their food comes from, right? So the, the country of origin, he called it the cool um, these regulations that require uh, producers to put their country of origin on their packaging to let consumers know where things are being grown, where they're coming from, and to begin to start demanding that, you know, in our retail locations that we have access to produce that's grown in the United States to help support, you know, farmers that are trying to be profitable you know, because the, the imports are beginning to undercut the, the, the economic stability of these commodities. Yeah, it's, you're absolutely correct. And then uh, the other thing I think we talked, I said yesterday was, uh, what, are you going to take on a whole semi truckload of milk 
that's, oh, by the way, it's unpasteurized whole milk, which your government has told you that you cannot sell. Absolutely. The, the, you know, it's not just as easy as dropping <laughs> off a semi-truckload of 40,000 gallons at your local uh, food bank. It's whole milk. Yeah, there's lots of barriers. There's lots of barriers. And it's about, you know, having these conversations to try and put our heads together to, to figure out how we can be resilient through this time and or, you know, look at the, the systems, right? Like in, in sustainability, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of talk about systems. And, and when you look at systems, you're not looking at individual parts and trying to fix individual parts, you're actually trying to look at the entire system and look at the inputs, look at the function, look at the outputs and the externalities. And I think the more we have these conversations, the more we can understand how, how the system works and begin to build on, you know, the foundation that we already have, but, but maybe adjust some things to perform better. I don't know. I think other, I don't know if there is a, I don't know if there is, you know, I don't know if anybody's actually really taken the time to look at a milk facility, a processing facility. It's, it's over a a 25 acre, 50 acre, uh, uh, campus. It's massive. Their trucks are lined up dumping milk. It's, you know, you know, they're unloading milk by the, you know, the semis are lined up. You know, this is, it's not a, the milk situation is definitely not something that can be taken uh, and just change the way that that works because it's so large. Um, the, the food side. And it has a lot I of impacts. Exactly. It, it impacts right? everything. Think about that. Cheese, everything that's yeah, dairy. Butter. butter. Yeah. You butter. You know, everything. Okay, so if you go and you go to the store and you want to buy uh, cookies, they de- they're not going to be there because they didn't have the butter. And I think that's the part, maybe this is the part that people aren't understanding, is that the chain is broken and everything that, the, let's use butter as a perfect example. Think about everything that's in butter or, or everything that has butter in it. Mm-hmm. It's not there. They it can't isn't. make it because there's no butter. They can't yeah, make your and, they can't make your frozen they can't make your frozen quesadillas. <laughs> they can't well, make your still, frozen quesadillas be, because there's no cheese to put in the quesadilla. That's right. There's no yogurt. pizza. There's no frozen yeah. pizza because yeah. there's no cheese. Yep. These are the things that I this is I think this is why it's upsetting to me is that people are not understanding that the chain is broken and it's, it's going to take, you know, if these dairy farmers go under, there's going to be a massive uh, domino effect. Um, I think you and I talked a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You and I talked a little bit about uh, potatoes Um, up here in the Pacific Northwest. uh, One of the big um, potato producers has started uh, um, withdrawing contracts meaning that now the farmer is now not planting potatoes. Now that, you know, you, you can say, well, uh, you know, one farmer I know, um, he produced enough potatoes to supply McDonald's. We did the math one time. Mm. He supplies, he grows enough potatoes uh, in one, so he could one week worth of French fries for McDonald's. 
that's how many potatoes he grows. You know, it's, wow. it's, yeah. And once again, so these guys, the, the, the producers are taking back contracts for this year and they're not planting potatoes. Another, another and, guy and, that I know. Well, I was just going to mention, since you're talking about potatoes, when I was speaking with Shay earlier this week, he mentioned that, you know, onions is the number two, like uh, he either said it was the most consumed or the, you find the most, uh, onions, sec- it's the second most consumed, like, vegetable, uh, second to potatoes. And potatoes is, is number one. Like, we eat a lot mm-hmm. of potatoes in this country, you know, whether it's French mm-hmm. fries, mashed potatoes, you know, whatever, hash browns. We eat a I lot of a lot, potatoes. Yes. And we grow a, a lot, lot of we potatoes. Both, well, because it's a staple. It's something that you, you can get starch from. It's easy. It's, it's stable. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do with it. And, you know, so that's another chain, another food part of the food chain that is, is, is collapsing. Um, corn, corn, uh, you know, in my video that, that I did for LinkedIn, you know, he's got corn, he's got a couple, five or six pivots of corn and corn Mm -hmm. is costing him more money to, to plant right now than he, so they're asking the world is asking this farmer to grow something that he's actually, it's costing him money to plant that he won't, that there's no market for at the end of the season, but he has to continue on because if he doesn't, there's not going to be corn. Well, most of the corn is my understanding. Anyway, most of the corn that's grown in the U S you know, upwards of 70%, I think is used for animal feed. Right, so it's going to feed the cows, it's going to feed the chickens, it's going to feed the the, the pigs, you know, on the animal uh, in the, in the animal production world, and but the impact of that, if they're you know like it or not, whether the animals are eating corn or not, whether you like it or not, uh, if there's no corn to feed the animals, then the farmers who are raising the cattle and raising the hogs and raising the chickens don't have any feed for those animals and hence you know that goes back into the loop of well then if he if if we can't feed our animals then we're not going to have the end product which is a meat source or a protein source that you know americans consume now they consume more chicken than they consume uh beef right like chicken has kind of taken over and a lot of chicken outfits and farmers they feed they feed them corn that's just the reality yeah i it's so you know we're, we're kind of kind of going around and around here but i don't know if there is a solution i wish we had i wish we were talking about a solution right now we're just playing chicken little you know the sky's falling <laughs> the sky's falling the sky's falling and you well, know you, i, I you wish we had yesterday. a what was that Sorry, you said something yesterday that that I thought was interesting. You you talked about the canary in the coal mine and just, you know, thinking strategically about what's happening, thinking logically about what's happening. It's easy to get emotionally riled up about what's happening and what could happen and the possibilities. But this is this is chess. It isn't checkers. Right. Like we are we have to think about what the outcomes are. We have to think about what what happens next. And, and, you know, awareness buys you time and time buys you options. 
So if we're, if we're seeing what's happening right now and we're aware of it because we're talking about it, because we're raising questions, because we're, we're talking to farmers, we're talking to people who are actually uh, feeling the direct impact of what's happening right now. There, there is an impact that's coming. It's kind of like a, you know, when you see a big wave coming to shore, like you can, you can either stand there and look at it until it crashes on your head and then you're scrambling to try and not drown. Or you can get out of the way and, and, and figure out what you can do to, to protect yourself. And so I think, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, we may be going around and around talking about the food supply chain, but I think it's important to talk about the components of what we're dealing with because it's not just a one, you know, problem. It's not just a singular problem. It is a very multi-layered multifaceted mm-hmm. problem that involves a lot of people, a lot of money, a lot of resources, you know, and it, well, hopefully I, these conversations will encourage more people to have these conversations. I think that people, when they go to the store, uh, we've already seen, I went to one of my favorite burger places in the, the bur- my favorite burger, instead of being uh, uh it was like seven fifty was almost ten dollars, and what? I'm you know I'm like okay, um, I can see that the food prices are going to start to skyrocket. People are going to go to the grocery yep. store, and milk is going to be ten dollars a gallon. Could possibly be twenty if it's bad enough, and you're not going to be able to buy certain things. Uh, they're just not going to be available, and then yep. then people will go. Oh, this is what you were talking about. But it's not a switch. It's agriculture. So now you have to go through another whole season, depending on whatever it is that you're missing has to be now grown. And it takes 90 days, 100 days, 120 days. So we could possibly be gone out a whole year, a whole year waiting for something to come back. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a water diamond paradox, right? Like, it, you know, when there's, when there's limited supply, then the price of things goes up. Not to mention that the price of food in, in the United States has gone up percentage points every year, right? So the cost of food is going up, but wages have stayed flat. Yep. So there's, there's a mismatch there. So if, and, and right now, with massive unemployment, I read something earlier this morning that just yesterday, another 5.2 million Americans applied for assistance. So, you know, we, we're in a precarious economic Michelle, situation. Yes, Michelle, have you, have you, you know, we've, I've watched movies that come from the, that we come, that we come from, uh, that, that come out of the Great Depression. You see mm-hmm. the videos, you see the pictures, you see the stories of the Great Depression, people giving their mm-hmm. kids up. And I read yeah. an article that they said, we could possibly be going into even a deeper Great Depression than what we already, that, that happened in, the, in the, you know, the last one. That's stunning. That is, with the unemployment rate. Now, I, I'm my buddy, uh, smart doctor guy, you know, he... Uh, he goes, I don't think it's going to be that bad. And, of course, I'm sitting here talking about this agricultural problem and going, I don't know, man. 
I don't know if this food shortage goes bananas along with this massive unemployment. Uh, how many people of the, how many people get to go back to work? I guess is the bigger question that we won't know until things get turned back on. How many actually get to go back to work? Um, that's going to be the telling, but I still see millions and millions of people unemployed, not being able to find work. Absolutely. And that's not, you know, the, the numbers haven't reduced. They've only grown in the last, say, 12 months. You know, people talk mm-hmm. about, oh, well, you know, up until February of this year, oh, the economy was strong. Oh, the stock market reached its peak in February. All that's fine and good, but let us not forget that we are over $20 trillion in debt. Yeah, it's, we, no, that's, we, that's we the other thing. We can't forget yeah, that. I don't. Where's the money gonna come from? I should, you know? I should change the name. I should change the name of this to the to the apocalypse. <laughs> the apocalypse episode where we talk uh, it, about all know. the. <laughs> it's you know it, I mean we can we can call it whatever we want and you know I'm not trying to sound like you know the the chicken little but I think it's worth you know thinking about things rationally. And thinking about things from a multi-faceted uh, perspective. So on my podcast, I look at the food supply chain from an ecological standpoint, from an economic standpoint, and from a health impact standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's very useful to, you know, not just be, have a tunnel vision about something because, you know, you think you know about this one thing, but it's really important, I think, to look at the different perspectives and, and what those impacts will look like or, or what are they currently and can we manage what we're doing and or pivot what we're doing or adjust what we're doing to, to provide some resilience. It's going to go to the the local farms. It's going to go, I mean, hopefully what we learn out of this is that to buy local, you know, and of course that also means, you know, that works great for the Southern states where they can grow stuff all year round. But, you know, up here it gets cold and it snows and it gets, you know, below freezing for months at a time. Uh, You can't grow things. So now you're still relying on that food chain. So, but I do see... Yeah, I do see a I do see a switch. I can see that happening where the smaller farmers who are now just screaming that big eggs killed them and they can't make any money are all of a sudden going to become in the forefront and and being able to produce. But uh it's already happening. It's, it's already yeah. happening. If you if you know, in my little world, you know, I look at or or last week I was, um, you know, doing some posts because the season is now for for putting things in the ground and getting things going. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is there have been a lot of small family uh, seed companies. And I'm not talking about the big ones like the Monsanto Bears. You know, I'm talking about the family-owned non-GMO heirloom organic seed companies that are sold out of seeds. So people are naturally, you know, beginning to take notice of what's happening and take responsibility by purchasing seeds, although, albeit late in the season, right, because seed purchasing happens in February, January, February. 
but seed companies are sold out. You know, the, the home gardening industry is exploding. People are, they want to know how to grow their own, you know, and I do some of that work. Some of my, some of my, uh, you know, things that I'm going to be doing on my podcast are focused helping people understand how they can grow their own and knowing that they can grow food anywhere. You can grow food anywhere. And I think in times like these, it's a skill you, you can cultivate that you, you know, you don't have to do it, but it's a good thing to kind of have in your back pocket. Yeah. So, uh, so pivoting real quick, uh, you know, you posted that. I saw you posted this on LinkedIn, and I posted it on LinkedIn that we were going to be doing open podcast. If there's somebody out there just listening and they'd like to call in, uh, call in. Now's your time to call in. It's funny. I, Michelle, I've tried this I don't know how many times, and nobody calls in. It's it's so funny. I You know, they and, of course, they always come back, go, oh, I missed it, or <laughs> – yeah. You know, yeah. It's so, you know, you try to, you try to, you know, uh, I look at it as possibly a service um, that, you know, uh, giving five minutes to talk about whatever you want to talk about, but <laughs> they just don't call in. And it's so funny. Um, these podcasts well, are not easy. Will. Well, I know, man, I'm in the trenches uh, well, you with do, you. You do, uh, you know, you do, how many, how many uh, episodes do you guys under your belt now? So on Friday, it'll be episode number seven. I just started my podcast this year, and I do a weekly podcast, and I'm doing them in seasons. So I'm coming up on the end of my season one in a couple of weeks, and I've got some great guests coming up. Um, This cast that we're doing right now, I'm going to release it also this week, probably over the weekend as a bonus episode to people in my audience who may or may not know that we're doing this right now can actually listen to the both of us. So I'll be promoting that. And, yeah, just, I, you know, I, I I'll be was, doing a few more. I thought it was a cool idea that to do kind of like a dual. You, you got to use, you get to use your, you get to use it um, on your, on your uh, podcast. And then of course I get, I get another one and um, I'm not doing seasons. Um, oh, there, I think, Hey, uh, hang on just a second. We got our first caller. I think I know who this is. He said Ooh. he was going to call in. Hang on All just right. a second. Hello. Good morning. 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 Good morning. Who do we have on? Who do we have on the line? Hey, it's Justin. Hey, how are you, bud? Good. So, were you listening, you know, I, or did you just get time to call in? No, I was listening. It's. Um, oh, okay. You guys are talking. About- talking about something that is it's near and dear to our hearts with the the food supply chain and all that kind of stuff um so i I was really curious to see what you guys are thinking and it's definitely something where um you know looking at what's out there it's it's a weird world we're in right now so hopefully we're hopefully we're planning for the worst and and all that good stuff but um you said are you are you you yeah what do you do justin um, we have a hemp tracking software, so we track supply chain from genetics through to the consumer. So we come from a background of 20-plus years in food logistics and things like that, so working in co-manufacturing mm-hmm. facilities and all that and looking at supply chain. So, um, mm. you know, looking at, at the way that it works and what's been happening, all that stuff, I mean, one of our, our lead data scientists was telling us that the easiest company to disrupt for a supply chain is Walmart um, because mm. they 
they keep all their inventory in the store, not in a distribution center like a a smaller retail uh, grocery store or something like that. So, um, seeing where there's disruptions in the in the the chain has been interesting from from our perspective, but from a a global perspective, it's different seeing people freak out and buy three thousand rolls of toilet paper. You know, I mean, who would have right. forecast that? Right. So, but hey, yeah, man. So I, it, I really, it, People, people, they they tend to. Uh, it's funny how our society, whatever started that. I'd love to know the the first spark that said we're going to run out of toilet paper, and then it just blew up. I'd love to know the the catalyst to that that whole phenomenon. I think someone told me that it was um, that because you're homebound, you'll be do, using forty percent more toilet paper at home because normally your midday movements and all that Ah. an office or a restaurant or a coffee shop or somewhere else so that makes sense most of the work eight ten hours a day and you're doing that at home now you're using uh that many more stops (laughs) you know i've got a question for you justin I, I got a question for you. Since you, your background is in logistics, and and logistics is a huge part of the supply chain because it's about moving product from one place to the next. And I'd love to kind of hear your perspective on the current, you know, issues with logistics beyond, you know, just trucks, you, you know, truckers not not, you know, driving the routes and you know, they're, they're being limited in that way. What, can you explain kind of in a few sentences how logistics actually works in the food supply chain? And the second part of the question is, is there a way to kind of approach what's happening right now from a local distribution standpoint? I'm curious about that. Yeah, the – the the biggest challenge that will always be there um, is the prediction of, of trends and things like that. I mean, we, we do predictive analytics, things like that, all day long for any number of industries with our, our parent company. But when you talk about logistics, um, you know, if I if I told you to stop by 10 different places, you would, you would pretty quickly and easily route all that out in your mind, right? The human brain can handle that kind of capacity. But when you sure. talk about hitting 40 or 50 or 60 places with 30 different variables, um, it takes some serious computing power to do that efficiently. And then right. you start layering in additional data sets like, um, you know, how much fuel is in the truck, if it's a breakdown, if, mm. um, if this store doesn't open until 930 and this one's open at 10. Um, those kind of things, that logistics and the prediction of that will always be a challenge. And it's it's getting better as technology advances, but it's hard to figure out, um, you know, the most efficient way to do it. And and some companies have gone as far like um, I think it's UPS that they only do right turns, and it's wow. dumb little factors like that because a right turn doesn't expose the driver and the vehicle to a cross traffic collision. Uh, mm-hmm. Right turns are more efficient because you can stop at a red light and go through that red light versus waiting for a left. Sure. Um, and the and the time frame of just taking right turns, as dumb as that sounds, exponentially changes the way that they can deliver packages efficiently. Mm. So, 
you know, long term, I think the solution is going to be the adoption of the data and, and how that data is used because, um, you know, you can't ever predict COVID. I mean, you, you can kind of see, sure. see some writing on the wall and stuff like that, but you won't ever see, you know, 5 million people become unemployed overnight. Um, you, you just can't plan for that. But planning for how to, how to get through it is, is, is finding the shortest supply chain possible, which is getting back to buying local. You know, I right. think you're right in that respect because, you know, if I go to the, the farm, I mean, I'm in Nebraska, so if I go out to a farmer that I know that's growing crop right now, I can buy from him and drive it to my house if I really wanted to. Um, right. But to go to the grocery store, I've got to rely on 40 or 50 other people sometimes. So. Right. Yeah. And then, so, 80, 80% so when you go to. Of, 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 sorry, Corey. I, I was gonna. I was gonna say when when you go to the farmer out there and your buddy or he, you know. That's a that's a whole that's unprocessed, whether it's corn, mm-hmm. wheat. Uh, whatever soybeans, uh, whatever that is, that's a, that's just a raw product. Like you said, there's there's a bunch of people and a bunch of processes that uh, when you go and grab that, you know, use that cookie package uh, analogy again. You go grab that cookies off the shelf. How many people and processes touch that? Uh, and that's the I think that's the disconnect that, that people are having with our food chain. Um, you know, I think. I'm kind of enjoying this education side of this, guys. I really am. I'm, I'm really – it's it's uh, I'm not usually an educator because stupid people make me nuts. Um, but in this case, it's not necessarily that they're stupid. It's just that they're not educated. It's just that they haven't been introduced to what we're talking about. You know, milk, chocolate milk does not come from brown cows, people. It's my yeah. one of my favorite. So <laughs> – <laughs> well, just just, in, just just to kind of tag on to to the the second part of my question, from a local logistics standpoint, and, and from your expertise, is there a, a way to think about you know shorter routes around communities? You know, because eighty percent, what I was going to say earlier, is eighty percent of American communities rely on the food supply chain. Right, that it's a, it's just the fact. And so, if if we know that eighty percent of three hundred million people, that's a lot of people that rely on the food supply chain. And if there's a way to to make it, or a way to adapt it to a local distribution model, what would that look like? Could it even happen? Is it possible? The like many things in the in what I what we've done over the years, it's a yes and a no answer, right? It's um, you know, it's the firm Facebook maybe. So the the large stuff, you know, the Costco's and the WalMarts of the world, they are going to have to rely on more traditional models just because their internal mechanisms. I mean, they 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 move at a certain speed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the more localized franchise chains or whatever, even the, the more localized sourcing things have some adaptability because they can buy independently. Um, so it's, it's going to come down to the, the chain of custody really. Uh, because if you look at, you know, eggs, I mean, eggs might go through six or seven different people's hands. So to get rid of two or three people in the middle, 
you know, gets that food there that much faster, but what are you cutting out of the equation? You know, are you cutting out um, a wholesaler that's doing the just egg yolks or somebody like that? You know, it's, it's just a question of what kind of food Americans will tolerate. And that's the that's the real challenge. I mean, when you go over to like I was in Ireland and Scotland a while back, and all the bread tasted amazing. Well, it wasn't packed full of sugar. So, mm. you know, and I have I, I appreciate the bread over there a heck of a lot more. And you know, we had red stag sausages and all this stuff. And I'm like, why can't I get this in the states? And it's because it's all got to be processed or pumped up with sugar or something else. So, and added is uh, preserved is and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just uh, fascinating. Sometimes we get in our own way trying to protect the world and protect ourselves. And sometimes Darwin had it right, you know. (laughs) Maybe the kid who eats the most marbles should make it to have children of his own, you know. (laughs) 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 Maybe. Well, uh, Well, thank you for that. Uh, Yeah, you're the first one that's uh, actually – you actually called in for the open mic. Uh, we, I, you, I think you probably heard us talking about that. Nobody calls in, and and so you're the very first one to to call in and and be on the show. I appreciate you calling in. Do you want to, you know, plug your plug your company and uh, get it get it on the air? No, oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're Hemp Batch Trackers, so just HempBatchTracker.com. Um, but we do. Uh, genetics all the way through to retail for everything from COAs to logistics to shipping, all that kind of good stuff. So um, we do it all. We have lots of fun with it. So plenty okay. of cool things to do there. Right on, man. I appreciate you uh, yeah. contributing to the show. I, I thoroughly enjoy uh, that you that you called in and and you definitely added to the show. So well, and I, I got to do the thing. A first. First time listener, first time caller. So I, I Yeah. You do the gym rum. I'm flaming out. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that great. That's great. Well, you're you're more than yeah. welcome anytime, Justin. You're you're you uh you can definitely contribute to the show, bud. Cool, appreciate it. Yeah, keep up the good work. Love what you guys are doing. Right on, man. Thanks, Take care, Justin. bud. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Well, um, so you have to take off here in a couple minutes. Guess who, uh, guess who showed up? Um, it, it was, up? I, I, my, yeah, I was that my EBH, my executive, my executive better half. Is that, All that's, right. actually her true, that's actually her true, that's her true title. She actually has business cards that. with EBH on it. Yeah. Executive I better half. Yes. and it was it was my fault it was my fault i forgot to tell her that you and i had talked yesterday michelle and set this up for today we have another one tomorrow um with a with a hemp decorticating uh guy and so um she was expecting tomorrow morning not today so it was my fault i you know i thought i told her but i'm glad you're taking the blame well that's what i do i (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah when when we, I, when we I started have been listening yeah the uh so when we started this whole thing and she's like well what's going to be my title and i'm thinking i don't know i don't know and then i thought how about executive better half because she's my better half right so that's how <laughs> I that love it. 
executive better half thing came about. So, well, what well, am I supposed um, to call her? What's your uh, name? You can call me Beth. <laughs> Hi, Beth. Oh, he Hi, went on the, nice he went on the call show. yesterday. Yeah, I'm sorry. My yeah, my my beautiful wife Beth, executive better half, executive producer of the Hemp Logic Radio program, <laughs> and sidekick. Yes, you got a lot of titles, honey. Yes, I do, <laughs> I, I, and they're weighing on my shoulders right now. <laughs> no. Well, I, I hope that, uh, Michelle, that this gives you a little bit to work with. I'm sure uh, me doing a live show is way better than um, do, having to sit there and edit through this whole this whole yeah. thing. But um, <laughs> You're taking my workload down a notch, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm super busy, you know, so I, I love it. I'm, I'm going to post it. You know, I might ping you for, you know, a little bio or something, or maybe I'll just grab it off your off your website there and, uh, you know, connect connect my audience with your audience so that we can keep the conversation going. You know, I think yeah. it's so, so important to, to keep these conversations going. And maybe we can do this again, you know. Absolutely. I, it's, uh, there's, there's good ones, and, and then some of them uh, – you know, just like, well, you, I, I look at these and you could probably attest to this doing podcasts is your, your seventh one is better than way better than your first. Yes. And it's, a, it's the same thing <laughs> no here. Doubt about it. Yep. And, and of course, uh, my, my doing it live really throws people off. It, it really, uh, it takes a while to get, um, into a groove and once you get into a groove sometimes it's like oh i wish i had made this an hour and a half just because the conversations are starting to <clears throat> starting to go so yeah but we, well, we had a great caller call in man that's that's a success right oh, there you got to celebrate the little successes you know along the way do you have time we got one more we got someone just called in do you have time for one more just a real quick let's one let's do it let's do it let's all right do it. hold on just a second you are on the air with Hemp Logic Radio. Who's this? Is that me? Yeah. Hi. Hang on. Let me let me mute my background because I'm watching you. Um, did you see where yesterday that the USDA has approved importation of Chinese citrus? I did not see that. Well, yeah, I I did. Yeah. Here we are. And and is that how we're going to? Uh, improved food supply here in the United States and we're once again going to rely on China they can't supply us everything else we've offshored to them what are we thinking yeah well, yeah I, I, it's, it's a scale yeah. pro, it's a scale problem guys that's how much produce and how much citrus we use is that even if they were to say no more imports from anyone we can't produce what our if you if you, even if you stopped exports which i'm sure we do export but if we stop the exports, we still are going to have a shortfall. That's the problem scale. Right. So, but it, it's, it's like a double-edged sword, right? It's like a double-edged sword. So there's demand for citrus in the United States, right? It's summer, people, you know, about to be summer. People want to have their citrus. And if growers in the U.S. have, have come to have to stop production or, or whatever – then we need to, I think what they're thinking is they want to fill, they want to have the supply and, and, and meet the demand, right? There's that point of equilibrium where you have to, you know, you want to get people what they want. On the flip side, and I talked about this in my third episode called How Food Secure Are You? And How the Coronavirus is Impacting, you know, Our Food Supply. And 
we import so much and, and, a, and a variety of foods from China. And one of those things that was really startling to me was we import almost 95% of our vitamin C from China, which, you know, that's, that's a staggering number, you know, and I think, you know, the caller, I, I didn't, I didn't catch her name. What was, what was your name? Julie. Julie. I mean, you bring up a great point, and, and even though it is, you know, one of those things like we, do we have enough citrus produced in this country to meet the demand, I think is the first question. The second question is if we do have enough demand in, in the country, right, like why, why do we need to bring citrus in from China? Because once it gets here, we have the same distribution and logistics problems is getting it from the, the, the barge that it's coming in on to communities and, and, and the retail location. And so I think that's a great question. I don't know if I have the answer to it. I don't know, if Corey, you have the answer to it, but I think it is, a, a, um, you know, a, a multifaceted kind of thing. I feel like I said that a lot in this, in this hour that we've been talking because we, we want our lemons, our limes, our oranges, our mandarins, all of those things. And if they're not being produced, how do we meet the demand in the market? And if we're, if we're going to meet the demand in the market by importing from China, then we still have a distribution problem in the food supply chain. So we're not really solving – it doesn't seem like we're solving many problems by importing. Plus, we're also driving the cost of U.S. producers and their goods down by importing. So I think that's a, it's a really great question, Julie. I'm not sure that I have the answer. What do you think about that, Corey? I, I, there is really not a true answer to, uh, you know, what we're, you know, we, we're circled back around when there's not an actual, if we did this, we could solve the problem. And, you know, I understand Julie's upset or, you know, there's, why are we importing food from China? <clears throat> And I'd really like to know, this is almost, is how much of it is actual truth? Do, you know, do we have actual documentation of, you know, cargo ships dropping off citrus from that's actual China? You know, did it, did it come from China? These are things that, I just you know, read the article on the USDA <clears throat> website. It was U- USDA? It yesterday. Oh, wow. Yeah, USDA approved this yesterday. Uh, yeah. We've already demonstrated that we have become dependent on um, importation from a country halfway around the world that is not able to supply our needs right now, why would we be dependent for any other products? We do not have a citrus shortage in this country. No. I agree 100%. And that's, you know, is that a, is that, you know, I'm just throwing out there, is that a true statement? Do we, do, are we, you know, it's funny, we export stuff and then bring, and then we import things. We, we're importing what we export. It's like, wait, that we have has a to stable stop. citrus. We have stable citrus supply year round in this country. We do not from California and Florida, country. right? Yeah, and Arizona. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, see, this is this is part of what we were talking about, Michelle. Is you know things are the the industries, the agriculture industry is going to pivot and change to 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 take care of this, just like uh, we're 
I see once we start back up again, the medical side of our industries, you know, our, our, our medical supplies, our medicines are going to be brought back from, from wherever we ship them off to, whether it's China or another country, they're going to be brought back and we're going to start making uh, these, these things back in the United States. We're going to, I think we're going to, the, the, the whole thing, everyone's going to stop and take a look at what are we exporting and why. Well, I don't remember and, and what are we, what are we importing and why? And I think that speaks directly to Julie's question. You know, what, why, if we have a stable citrus production, you know, system and products and farmers in the United States already, we can already meet the demand in the United States for citrus. If that's the assumption, right, if, if, if that's what we're talking about, we can already do that then why do we need citrus from anywhere else, whether it's from China or Argentina, you know, Spain, whatever. I mean, you know, Shay talked about it a little bit in my podcast where, you know, he was like, well, you know, the importation of, of certain specialty onions is in the marketplace because people want, people want variety. People want, you know, some unique variety of onion and so they if they're not grown in the united states then of course we'll import them because we you know there's competition but if we already have you know uh you know unless it's some unique citrus variety then you know i think julie's making the case that we don't need to be importing it at this time we need to rely on the supply that's already here why are we yeah, sending I, chickens to China to be processed only to bring the processed chicken back? Exactly. It's exactly. Because it's cheaper. It's nuts. But <laughs> I, I do believe this is all going to – this is part of the solution, but it's going to take time, and hopefully the chain has not been broken so badly that we go hungry. And, and that's, well, part, of that's it is, our, that's, part of it is our trade agreements, right? Like we – we 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 entered into NAFTA to kind of open up, you know, these trade agreements, and uh, we're seeing some of the impacts of that right now. And it, it it's not necessarily working in our favor. Which I think, again, Julie, you make a great point. Why are we raising chickens here, exporting them for processing, and then bringing them back to sell in the United States? It's absurd. It's absurd from an ecological standpoint. Why would we ship, you know, thousands of pounds of chickens halfway across the world twice? It's absurd. Right? Like it doesn't make any sense. Well, but also, guys, keep in mind, it's also they're, they're doing it because it's cheaper. Believe that or not. So you're actually shipping chicken across the, to the ocean back to China. Then China breaks it down and then it comes back to us. It's actually, and it's cheaper that way. So there's the chain, there's certain certain parts of the chain that are broken. And I think we're going to, I think we're, these are going to, these changes are coming. But that's, that's an externality, right? Like, so, so if it's cheaper for corporations, the, you know, they're doing it to increase their bottom line and increase their profit margins. If they can pay less for their cost of goods and pay, you know, pay employees cheaper overseas to, uh, you know, process our chicken and bring it back here, and it's cheaper to do that than to actually pay Americans and create jobs 
and, and maybe have a more expensive product that Americans might even be willing to pay for because they know that it's not having an environmental impact. It's creating jobs, so there's an economic impact that's a positive externality, you know, but we're not, we're not able to do that for whatever reason. And I don't know if it's because our, our, the people who are in power in these industries and our legislators don't really care about that. They just care about, you know, the kickbacks that they've got to give to their stakeholders at the end of the year. You know, but it is it is a challenge, and it is something that we absolutely have to keep talking about. Well, so I'm, I'm really glad that you called in. Of that. <clears throat> Say that again. I said there's also the food safety concerns of that. The level of hygiene has been demonstrated to not be the same in China as it would be in American poultry processing facility. Absolutely. Do we really need to endanger? Um, the health of Americans for our chicken to be a little bit less expensive? I would say no. Well, it's all, it's all economics, guys, and, and this is part of the scale that we're, you know, I keep bringing up scale because that's really what drives this, this whole thing. It's scale. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. well, guys, we're coming up. We're, we've almost been on, a sh- on for an hour. This is uh you know, so Julie, thank you for calling in. It's been great. You've, thank you you Julie. definitely had a great you had a great question. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. All right. Take care. Have a good one. <laughs> you too. Bye. Awesome. <laughs> that was great. So look so there. You got questions. two phone calls this one. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. All right. Take care. Have a good one. Farmers. Oh, that's some feedback. Sorry about that. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> um. <laughs> Anyway, well, um, well, Michelle, well, I've got to, I've got to bounce out of here too. Yep. All right. Well, um, we'll let you go and uh, look forward to hearing your your side your pod your podcast and uh, have a little bit of edit. I'm sure you edit. I would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would, but um, I appreciate your time and it, I think this ended up being a good show. Ended up being a good yeah, one. man. I- so. I think I I just missed out on the end of it. I think my recorder stopped right after Julie hung up. But, you know, anybody who's listening in, you know, they they can find it on your on your website and I'll post mine on mine, foodslain.com. You can follow me on all the socials at foodslain and um I'm really glad you invited me to to join the conversation. I'm really grateful. Right on. It's cool. Let's do it well, again. Well, you have a great rest of your yeah. You have a great rest of your day, and uh, we'll call it we'll call it a show. Excellent, and and to All your right. EBH, thanks for being here too. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry it was so late in the in the show, but I appreciated uh, being on here. You have a great rest awesome. of your day. Thank you, thanks, you Michelle. Too. Bye, guys. All right. Yep. Bye. All right, hon. Uh, executive better half. Uh, let's call this. Uh, <laughs> let's wrap this up. So. Sounds good. Sounds said, good. I will. Uh, you guys. The 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 uh, food good. the collapsing food chain and what it means to you episode of Hemp Logic Radio is done and uh, we're gonna call it a we're gonna call it a show. I will see you next time and have a great day. Talk to you later. Bye bye now.